Hey, what's up? What's up? It's your girls. I'm Rissy and I'm Shelves. And this is the podcast I totally relate. All right, you guys, welcome back to another episode of I Totally Relate. We are so glad you're here with us. We have such a special conversation we cannot wait to share with you. Beth, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Shelby, tell us about Beth a little bit. Okay, you guys. So Beth is a yoga instructor, a Reiki master, and a massage therapist. I met Beth um, when I did my 300-hour yoga teacher training. And oh my gosh, let me tell you what, Beth was such a treat to just be a part of this group that I was going to every single day and just shedding layers of myself. The one thing that I feel like was a huge takeaway um, at that time in my life was finding my intuition, okay? And when you're doing like your teacher training, you have to like teach yoga, right? You have to like teach sequences. <laughs> and we were we would like break away we would have to teach one another. And I was so nervous. I remember I was so nervous and I would write out these yoga sequences. And Beth was one of my partners one day and she pulled me aside. We sat down on the grass and, you know, we like we're outside in this beautiful park. It's like the birds are chirping. And Beth is just this wise, wise woman, which you guys will all find out. (laughs) Beth just sat me down and she said, Shell, you are so so good inside like you can you can do this and you know yoga and your passion is here and so instead of like living in your head or your fears like trust your intuition and teach from your heart and that changed my entire approach to teaching I feel like she gave me permission to show up fully as myself and so Beth is so wise when it comes to intuition. And I really wanted to just sit down and share some conversations uh, to anybody else in this world who needs a little love from Beth. Thank you so much. I feel like uh, I see this happen with people who go through yoga teacher trainings. Mm -hmm. They think, oh, once I go through yoga teacher training, I'll be an amazing yoga teacher. And then so many people go through their yoga teacher training and they're like, so it turns out I'm just as insecure as I ever Mm. was. Uh And they're not willing to go through all of the really awkward steps of teaching yoga not well yeah, so that they can get to the point of teaching well. Yeah. And so what I feel like I saw in you that day, I remember that interaction. Um, I think what I said to you was something like, it doesn't really matter how much you know, your sequences are really the least important part of your teaching, that it's you, that you are so special and your like soul is what comes through in the class. And that's all people care about. People just want to be with you. And so, okay, yes, you do need to know about poses and you do need to know about sequencing. But after that, it's just you bringing yourself and the way that you can hold people. That's all anybody wants from you. And so, yeah, I just wanted you to be like, Shelby. (laughs) Feel how special you are. (laughs) Your beautiful soul, that's what people are going to resonate with. And not with whether you have a 
rock solid sequence. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And yeah. and it's yeah. interesting at the studio that I work at right now, I had somebody sub a class for me and then afterwards the owner was like um, nobody liked her. <laughs> and I was like, it's because she writes out her sequence and she is like a military sergeant and mm-hmm. she's just like no emotion. She gives none of her heart mm. to the class. And I don't like going to her class either, yeah, right? Yeah. The people who I like attending their yoga classes are the people who are willing to connect through their yes. heart and through mm. their energy and their love. And yes. that's what makes it such a beautiful, like synergistic experience. Yes. Yeah. I'm the eighth out of nine kids and really have always loved and cared a lot about my family, but also had older siblings who helped to point to, that's not okay, this is what abuse looks like, you just Mm -hmm. saw someone being abused. And so there was some dysfunction in my family. Mm -hmm. And then I was also sexually abused when I was a kid. That was really uh, an impactful part of my life because when my sisters and I told our parents, we don't really like what's going on with this person who wasn't related to us, luckily, our parents were so awesome. Um, instead of sweeping it under the rug, they called the police. We mm-hmm. went to court. He was charged. He was sentenced and all sorts of things like that. Yeah. And it was really helpful for me to like be able to see like, okay, so that wasn't okay what happened. But I also, my whole life had been used as a tool. Like, it doesn't matter what you want. It doesn't matter how you feel. You're going to do what I said you're going to do because I'm the grown-up and you're the child. And so Mm -hmm. when I was groomed for sexual abuse, it felt really normal and natural for me because I'd already been in that kind of a system. Yeah. Yeah. And so I knew that I could point back to my sexual abuse trauma. I knew that that was like what I could point to as to why I felt so awful all the time. And so uh, from the point of eight years on, I experienced a lot of mental illness, lots of depression and anxiety. I didn't know it was anxiety, but I could point to depression, you know, but just did my best to live with it the best that I could. Um, I married a a guy who I (laughs) met in high school and we're still married and he's really awesome. Like a couple months after he came home from his mission, we got married and then had five kids in eight years. (laughs) (laughs) That's a trip. And um, (laughs) all of that, you know, like my mental health really suffered through all of that. And and after my fifth baby, I was like, we cannot have not one more kid because I will be in the state mental hospital. Like I know it and he knew it too. Like we could, it was fully felt that that is what would happen if, if if this continued. And so my postpartum after my fifth was so bad that like I had suicide ideation and and like every day I would fantasize about just like, okay, um, if I wait until 3 p.m. and then like drive to Colorado, the kids will only be home by themselves for two hours and then Joel can go. And I can be like five hours away before any, like I would have all these like ID and that's when I was like, I need help. And so then I got into therapy and that was really helpful. Also professionally, like I went to college and became a school teacher. I worked as a school teacher until I had a lot of kids. And then I did preschool out of my house. And then mm-hmm. when my youngest was about three, I uh, got into the church educational system and became mm-hmm. a special needs seminary teacher. And I worked there for six years and loved it so yeah. much. I love special ed and I loved working with my students. It was such, it was like one of those jobs that solves all of your problems. And it's so exciting. And it was a population that I wanted to work with. It was so special to me but I also while I was working as a seminary teacher I would wake up like gasping for breath Mm 
And I didn't know, but I was having a panic attack in the middle of the night. I didn't know that that's what was happening. And so I'd wake up gasping for breath and couldn't get back to sleep and just so filled with anxiety uh, that one morning I just like, I knew that yoga helped me. I'd been to like some at the rec center, like one every five years or something. So I just looked up. I was like, is there any like early morning yoga classes? Found one at a studio, started going. And then I would describe it to people. I'd be like, I feel good for like a whole hour after. I I think it's the breath. Like, I don't know what it is, but it just kind of slowly started to untangle my anxiety. And then I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. And I was like, oh, the stomach ache that I've had for 18 years. That's anxiety? And I had no, I couldn't (laughs) put it together. Um, But yoga started a spiritual awakening that I didn't know that's what was happening. But it just, I kept, I just became more interested in yoga because I felt so good. And it would translate into like being kinder at home, being Mm. less reactive at home. And so I just kept going. Um, I did yoga for like a year and then and I would have these experiences in Shavasana, the meditation that you do at the end of the class. I would have these experiences where I would feel so bathed in love from Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother or my grandparents who are dead. And I would lay there and be like, why am I feeling love? Why am I feeling so whole? Mm. Because I'm not in the temple and I'm not um, reading my scriptures. I didn't just teach nursery. Like what? I couldn't like figure it out and it kind of helped me to come to the conclusion like it's just because I'm loved and it's just because I'm good and I don't have to earn anything, right? And so I would teach these concepts to my special ed students, right? We would talk about it all the time, but it's completely different to talk about it in your head and at a cognitive level and it's a different thing to Mm -hmm. experience it in your body. Right. And so I would have these uh, really transcending, beautiful, personal revelatory experiences. And then I was like, okay, everybody needs to do yoga. And maybe (laughs) um, the prophet is going to start saying that we need to do yoga because everybody's good. It's going to solve the mental health problems of the world. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's exactly how I felt. Okay. So anyway. After a year, I had this revelation, right, or this experience in Shavasana where I had the most lovely feeling come over me. And it was this idea that um, I had students who had fetal alcohol syndrome who could not regulate their behavior, right? Their disability was not any fault of their own. And I was kind of pissed off. Yeah. At the idea that many people with fetal alcohol syndrome and many people with disabilities end up in prison. Mm. And my brother who worked as a nurse at the prison was like, we have an entire building dedicated to people just with an IQ of 70 or lower. Mm. And I was like, so pissed off to think of my beautiful students with fetal alcohol syndrome being taken advantage of and only being friends with people who were willing to put up with them because then they could also uh, manipulate them for crime or whatever and then they end up in prison and I was really pissed off about it. So then I was in Shavasana and I just had the most lovely feeling like, Beth, get your yoga teaching certificate and then teach your special needs kids how to meditate, how to breathe and then... And then you'll heal them and then they, you know, like then they can just regulate and have a greater ability to act yeah. and a greater space before reacting. And I just thought it was 
it was so profound and the most lovely feeling that I was like, okay, so I signed up for yoga teacher training. In the middle of yoga teacher training, I get another revelation or download where it was like, it's time for you to quit teaching yoga and you need to start a nonprofit that is geared toward mental health solutions for teens and people who don't have access to yoga. So I did. <laughs> and those kinds of leaps of faith that I took as a, a, a member of the, the LDS church, where I was like, I'm scared, but I feel like this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to take this leap to do yoga teacher training. I'm going to take this leap. It's the same feeling yeah. that I was getting to do all the righteous things were also to be like, quit teaching seminary, right? Which doesn't really make sense, but like I was still willing to do it. And so I started a nonprofit and we did all of this work to bring yoga to at-risk populations through like neighborhoods that were highly impacted neighborhoods, yoga, kids yoga to those areas and to homeless shelters and to high schoolers and stuff like that. It was really cool. Then I get into yoga teaching. I love it. It's so healing. It continues to be this path forward for me to like feel my truth and feel my authenticity. My husband has always been a really progressive Mormon and, and a feminist and his parents are Democrats and they, they live in Provo, which is like kind of unheard of in the 80s, but yeah. they're very like human heart-based people and yeah. just like care about dignity mm. and respect and and human rights you know yeah. and so my husband was always kind of influencing me towards feminism and I was like okay I believe that and that's interesting to you know like switch gears and and kind of see how things are not really things I believe and want to be true are not really playing out in my culture and in my church mm. But I was a progressive Mormon for a very long time and just saying, guys, we can be the change. We can be yeah. the change because this is our church. In, in the LDS church, I feel like it feels very democratic that you feel like you are able to influence what is going on mm. in your ward because you have a voice and you get to participate. You know, you're an equal participant in, in discussions and talks and meetings and committees and stuff like that. Yeah. But anyway, I, I started yoga teaching and I loved it and continuing to practice and then there was a an advertisement at the studio that I attended for a Reiki training and I'd never even heard of Reiki I didn't know what it was uh, but when I saw the advertisement my heart just started pounding and I heard this voice in me saying look into it look into it look into it and I was like I don't know what this is and I think you might have to be psychic to do this and I'm not psychic like none of this makes sense but I kept feeling it feeling it feeling it feeling it so I messaged the owner of the studio I messaged the person who was doing the training and I was like what is this what do you have to do to like do you have to be psychic to do this and both of them were like oh I think you'd be good at it and anybody can learn to do this and I had quit teaching seminary and so through the summer had lost all that income and then it was the fall and I'd gotten a new t uh, job working at an addiction treatment center for teens in their private high school and I was like a yoga and meditation teacher in their private high school. Cool. So uh, it was like, you know, my second or third week teaching there, I kept feeling this feeling like you have to sign up for this training and I was like, all right, say a little prayer, Heavenly Father. If I'm supposed to do this Reiki training, you show me the money because we have zero dollars in our account because I haven't been working, right? Yeah. So I drive to the addiction treatment center. I park the car. And then like as I park the car, I realize, oh, I have the exact amount of money in my Venmo account from private yoga classes that I've taught. And I was like, <laughs> okay. 
pay my money, sign up for it. I go to the training. The trainer is like, all right, so just put your hands on your partner and um, channel good energy into them. So I do. And I'm like, what the hell are we doing? You know, like I'm feeling nothing. And my trainer is like coming over to me. Oh yes, Beth. Oh my gosh. Good job. Oh, you're that. Yes. Good job. Like she, like as if she can see that energy is flowing through me to my, this person that I'm administering Reiki to. And I'm like, is this, are we doing something? Is this something? Like so really amazing. not really able to feel like what, that there's anything going on. Okay. Right. <laughs> But um, I think it's just my training as a school teacher. I had just had a lot of experiences in being a shitty teacher or not doing a good job well that I have come to realize like you have to practice a lot before you get good at something. Yeah. So at the end of that training, she was like, I would offer 10 free sessions to family and friends just to help you practice and get ready to take clients and stuff like that. So I was like, I will. It was the same with like after yoga teacher training, you know, the, the, the teacher trainer is like, make sure you teach a lot of yoga classes so that you can get good at teaching yoga. And so I did. And I taught a lot of crappy yoga classes, but that was the only way through, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. That's the only way through. <laughs> I feel like it's a universal principle that it's the only way through is through. It's yeah. doing the things yeah. that you're not very good at and then you can get better at it. So I started seeing, I, I just on Facebook and Instagram was like, hey, does anybody want to come try this out? And cute little friends and neighbors, my mother-in-law, <laughs> who's not really inclined towards energy work, right, um, would come over. I would put my hands on them uh, for some period of time and be like, am I doing something? <laughs> and And then I would get feedback from them like, I'm so relaxed. Or my Fitbit said I had the lowest heart rate that I've ever had. And so I would get kind of feedback that I, I would be like, maybe there's something to this, right? Okay. And then through that, I kind of realized that sometimes ideas and messages would come through. And I was like, well, is that just my imagination? Or is that because I'm in connection with them? And I would feel things in my body and think, that's weird. My shoulder wasn't hurting until they showed up. And so mm. is it that my shoulder's hurting or does this have to do with them? And so I kind of just, that was a really great way for me to mm. begin to trust my intuition. Mm. Yeah. And so I continued through those Reiki trainings. I just felt really compelled, like go after this, keep going this way, you know? Yeah. And so and now I see clients every week and we do some Reiki and uh, it's, it's incredibly relaxing, but often just the way that I have learned to tap into my intuition, the way that I've learned to tap into other people's energy is that a lot of times we'll just have conversations about what is kind of blocking them or limiting their flow. Yeah. Yeah. It's like 80% of communication is nonverbal, mm -hmm. right? It's body language. It's tone of voice, not necessarily the words that are spoken, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I feel like whether we're aware of it or not, we're interacting with each other nonverbally in ways that are not necessarily quantifiable, yeah. right? So mm -hmm. like you can be in a, in a conversation with someone and then they leave and be like, so she was smiling, but I'm pretty sure she hates me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I feel like that's energy and that's reading other people's energy. And it's, I feel like intuition is simply just saying the energy and the way I'm interpreting energy 
is right. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of gaslighting yourself and being like, he seems super creepy, but I'm supposed to love everybody and I'm supposed to believe um, in the good of everybody. So I'm wrong and he's probably amazing, right? Intuition, yeah. at least for me, has been that guy feels like a creep. So I'm going to believe that he's a creep unless there's some other interaction that shows me otherwise, then I'll believe that. But it's really just coming to say, mm. the things that I'm feeling and experiencing, I believe and I trust myself. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Those gut feelings. Yeah. Those, yeah, those like little pings. Yeah. I have learned recently to trust my intuition or to trust myself one of the things that I feel like is really important or precious to me is like, okay, now that I've learned this, like I want to protect this. Like how do you protect your energy? What does that mean to protect your energy? And like how do you do that? How would you advise somebody like, hey, if you finally, if you feel like you're in a, in a good space where like you do feel connected with yourself and you do trust your intuition, mm-hmm. like how do, you, how do you protect your energy? I think that's a great question and one that matters to everybody. Yeah. So the family system that I grew up in, and I feel like even uh, LDS culture kind of promotes enmeshment and crossing personal boundaries. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I have always been somebody who has overshared and not realized (laughs) and wanted my students that I taught to care about me more than they did. And wanted, they were such a big part of my life and I would spend all this time thinking about and worrying about my students, I would like show up at their house with a soda and be like, you were just on my mind. Like kind of a creepy teacher, but also it was just like out of the sincerity of my heart, like I was thinking about you, here's a soda, I hope you're having a great day and stuff like that. And not really aware of what personal boundaries looked like and felt mm-hmm. like. Yeah. And and for me, it was it was, I was just kind of unconscious. I was just living in the system that mm-hmm. I was taught to participate in. Yeah. And some of those systems did not have good personal boundaries. So I don't I didn't have role models of people who would say no to somebody. Yeah. I was I was kind of taught to be submissive. I was taught to to see my place in hierarchies. And so I would place myself in hierarchies in every situation. So Mm -hmm. in professionally, religiously, socially, I would put myself in the hierarchy because that helped me to feel safe. I feel like Reiki is the way that I figured out uh, the difference between my energy and other people's energy. So I'm such a sensitive person that like, I would say from the day I was born, I could feel the energy of people around me and sometimes that energy was not safe. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of started at a very young age to shut down my intuition because it didn't feel good Mm -hmm. to be feeling everybody else's energy all the time. Um, And so Reiki was a system of kind of helping me to wake that back up again. I remember, and I'll, I, I tell this to my Reiki students when I do Reiki trainings, but I received my second Reiki training, so I was Reiki level two, and then my husband and I went to um, our son's junior jazz game. So we were sitting there, and I'm feeling a lot of anxiety, a lot of yucky feelings, and so finally, instead of paying attention to the game, I kind of turn inward, and I'm like, what's going on? Why do I feel like this? Yeah. And then... The idea came through, this isn't your energy. This is your husband's energy. He's upset with you about something and he's still like, you're just, you're just enmeshing with his energy. You're feeling his energy and he's upset about something. 
and you're kind of taking it on. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, is it his energy? I'm going to try. So I just got up off of the bleacher, walked like 100 feet away to a different part of the gym, and then was by myself, and all of that anxiety went away. And so I was like, Hmm. okay, it was his, right? So I feel like everybody's path is going to be different, but you're going to, opportunities are going to arise where then you get to decide for yourself, is this my energy? Does this belong to somebody else? Mm -hmm. So when I separated myself from him and was just with myself, I felt fine and at peace and that anxiety went away. And after a few minutes, you know, 20 minutes, he came over and was like, hey, why did you come over here? (laughs) And I said, oh, I was feeling your energy and it didn't feel good. (laughs) I just came over here. He's a really safe, person yeah and he's not a jerk so he was like really and so then he was kind of like yeah I guess I was frustrated with you about some interaction that we'd had earlier you know and it was a very validating experience just like when I had started doing Reiki and I would do I would be like "Uh, am I doing anything my hands are on their um shoulders whatever and then they'd be like I slept amazing I never sleep well but after I left your house I slept so well and then I'd be like okay, so maybe something happened, you know? And so it was the same, like when my husband validated, like, yeah, I was upset with you about that interaction before we got here. Then I was like, oh, so I'm right. (laughs) (laughs) And so those kinds of experiences have been the process of me recognizing and realizing, am I caring? And, And I still do this. I'll check in with people. Like somebody came for a private Reiki training and then when she left I didn't know but like for the next couple of days I was like ah something does not feel good something does not feel good and finally I was like is it mine and I was like no it's not mine who does this belong to is it this person so I ended up calling that student and being like hey do you feel okay about this part of our training and she's like no it was religiously triggering and I'm super I, I can't make sense of it you're right so then we had a conversation about it and I was like It's important for you to like wrestle with this and stuff like that. But I keep having those experiences where I get to check in with somebody else. Like, are you feeling anxiety? I'm just trying to figure out, is it my anxiety or is it yours? And sometimes it's theirs and sometimes it's mine. But I feel like you'll have these opportunities that offer you an opportunity to kind of check in with yourself or check yourself. Yeah. So then um, for what I would say about protecting energy, you can Google it and there's going to come up with like 30 ways that you can protect yourself. Mm -hmm. And really it's just you kind of drawing your energy in and saying, I'm calling back my energy, my power, and I'm just here with me and for me. Mm-hmm. right yeah. and so there's lots of ways you can imagine zipping yourself up or putting on armor or um, imagining every doorway you go through you walk through um, a filter that like leaves negativity behind and you can walk through mm-hmm. you, there's all of these yeah. ways that you can do it but really it's just a personal process for you of saying I matter to me I'm calling my power and my energy to myself yeah. and I'm going to carry this forward yeah yeah what you just shared was like, oh, so boundaries and creating a safe space for myself so I can go to that space and know like, oh, mm-hmm. this is, I'm not interacting or enmeshing, enmeshment, like I think, yeah, that is a lot of like the culture that I feel like we were both raised in, yeah. well, around here especially, but I also yeah. feel like it's, I feel like personal boundaries didn't exist 40 yeah. years ago. I yeah. feel like Brene Brown is the one that's yeah. helping everybody to like 
open their eyes yeah. for the first time ever. So I would say in every highly religious community, in every community where there's a hierarchy, you are told, please step in line and and put your feelings away. And now yeah. it's kind of getting reversed where everybody is saying, oh, actually keeping yourself safe and finding the center, the safe, your sanctuary inside of yourself, that is the most important thing you could do. Yeah. And everybody else matters less than your personal peace and your personal boundaries. Yeah. You know, if we like make ourselves the martyr or, you know, we're like constantly pouring from an empty cup and we're like trying to take care of everyone around us and we end up becoming everyone else's problem. Yeah. And mm. so the most kind and loving thing we can do is take care of ourselves so when we show up with other people, yes. we can actually show up for them instead of being like, I'm exhausted actually, you know, like, yes. and, and just kind of like spilling out onto everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, and, and I, I say this without pride, but like what I bring forward in my yoga classes and with my massage clients and with my Reiki clients is my whole heart, mm-hmm. right? So people will come and we will talk about really challenging negative trauma, super low vibe, suicide, brink of suicide, <laughs> like things like that. And then the clients will be like, oh no, are you going to be sad all day? And I'll be like, so... <laughs> I've already meditated for two and a half hours today, right? Like I take care of myself and I don't take a million clients a week because I understand that the quality of what I offer is the quality of what I I have given to myself. You can only give people what actually already exists within you. People can only give you something that will stick to you if it already exists in you. So if you really fundamentally feel like you actually are a piece of shit, then every time somebody says, you are so beautiful, you can't absorb it because you don't have the capacity. You don't have a box inside of you where that would fit. So you have to have that for yourself first. Mm -hmm. And then when someone tells you you're so beautiful, you're like, I know, right? (laughs) I'm so beautiful, but Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we could talk about this on all the layers, but for me, like even just body positivity, like I started running a couple of years ago with just a sports bra on and my cute little um, belly hanging out, not because I thought that I was the sex symbol of the neighborhood, but because I finally just started looking at my stomach and saying, you didn't do anything wrong. You're very special and beautiful. And the way that my belly like floops down when I'm in plank pose, I'm like, you are so cute. <laughs> and I will wake up, bags under my eyes, hair disheveled. I look like a mess and I'll be like, oh, Bethy, you are so cute. Look at you. And so then when people say to me, Beth, you're beautiful. I'm like, thank you. And I believe them because it already exists in me. Right. And so. Yeah. Just like who I am has been such a journey of self-love and increasing my capacity for self-forgiveness, self-compassion, and self-love. And so, so much of what I give to people, and I'm not saying this because I'm super special. I'm saying this because people will tell me all the time, like, your yoga class was so special. Thank you so much. It feels so good to be around you. People who come to me for Reiki, they're like, I feel so light. I feel so joyful. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. It's a good life. Yeah. I'm yeah. living my best life. You look like it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you really 100%. do. You're like, you're radiating it. Yeah. When we were doing our teacher training, uh, I think that was 
at that time when you were embracing it, um, like your body, because I remember you were like, guys, I'm showing up in a sports bra every day. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, you know, like things like that. Yeah. It's important to embrace ourselves when we live in a world that tells you that no matter what you are, it's not enough. Yeah. Like, no matter where you look, you know? Yeah. yeah. And the most beautiful, ideal person can still look at themselves and be like, you are so ugly. Yeah. yeah. And the ugliest, most um, unattractive, unappealing person can look at themselves and say, you're perfect. What a miracle. Right? Yeah. yeah. And so we either get to say, yeah. like, whatever um, society tells us, we're the ones that decide... I'm going to hold on to that as my own personal truth mm. or I'm not. Yeah. So I was having this conversation recently. I can't even remember what it was about, but basically I said the beliefs and feelings, your insecurities, your weaknesses are things that you have agreed to carry forward in your life. Uh-oh. For example, like when I was a kid, my older brothers told me that I was stupid, but they didn't say that to me every day for 20 years, but I said it to myself every day for 20 years, right? So it was my brother's voice, but they weren't the ones that were continuing to say that. I was continuing to say that to myself, and I really thought that I was stupid. And then it just took a lot of evidence to be like, I'm not stupid. So so then I got to wrestle with this. Am I stupid or am I not stupid? And I just finally decided I'm not stupid. And so I let go of that old agreement to hold on to this healthier, happier, more peaceful agreement, I'm not stupid. And it's the same thing. Like you can look at your hips and be like, I've gained 20 pounds during COVID. And you can be like, dang it, you're the worst. Get out of here. Or you can be like, man, those cookies were good. Mm. (laughs) I'm so happy to have this miracle of a body that could digest those delicious cookies. And you're beautiful and you're a miracle. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, also, let's kind ooh, of... Ooh, wait, ooh, okay. can I, I just yes. have to say something real quick, because oh, epiphany, you just like gave me an epiphany. Yes, and that is the energy. Like, that good energy is attractive, right? Because you can look at someone yes. who's like super skinny, and they got like yucky energy, and like it doesn't yeah. feel attractive, but you could yeah. like a more voluptuous woman, and like she feels good in herself, and you're like, damn, girl, you're attractive. It's that energy yeah. that is attractive. Yeah. Yeah. Not the actual shape. Yeah. So energy. I have a friend who's a photographer and she was like, I just want to have fun. Will you come and do this photo shoot with me? And I could bring with me all of my insecurities. I can pick myself apart just oh, like yeah. anybody else could. Absolutely. But I don't do that on purpose. I don't want to go down those rabbit holes. So I show mm-hmm. up. We take fun pictures. And then afterwards, she she was just saying like, oh, I'm so glad. I, I, I think we were talking about body positivity. And um, she said, oh, I do a lot of photography for yoga teachers and yoga influencers and stuff like that. And she's like, I did this photo shoot with this woman who she's a yoga model and she's amazing. And when I took the pictures of her, she looked at them and cried and cried. And she said, I look so masculine. And I was like, oh, I look masculine too. I don't have a problem with androgyny. I don't have a problem with masculinity. Yeah. So we were just kind of having that conversation is that that anybody could look at that yoga model and say, that's perfection, but she feels like shit inside. And yeah. is that better than me or anybody else who is not as ideal as her by somebody else's standards? Like... I would just say my I'm more attractive and I, it's it's feels better to be around me just because I like myself. Mm. Yeah. And to be someone who loathed themselves for their whole life 
to be able to switch that around, Mm -hmm. I will never give that up. I'm not going to discount myself anymore and be like, well, I'm just not as young as I used to be or I'm just not as – or whatever. Like all the ways that you can discount yourself as a woman or as just as a human being, I'm not going to do that because what I have right now feels good and it was hard won. Like, I'm not going to give that up. I worked really hard to repattern my thoughts so that I can live in greater peace and wellness every day. Yeah. I'm not going to give it away. Yeah. The body keeps the score. Like, our body is constantly talking to us. Something that I've learned and I'm still grappling with, I'm still on my journey, is, you know, uniting my mind with my body or my spirit Mm -hmm. with, like, myself, right? Or becoming the observer in my life, you know, yeah. that awakening. Yeah. What is the experience of the relationship to the body and our emotions and our experiences that live inside yeah. of us? Like mind-body connection. Yeah, there you go. Mind-body connection. And what does that look like and what has that expression been throughout like your Reiki with your clients, within yourself, and with, you know, working with the youth, troubled youth who have gone through – these experiences because I feel like, you know, when someone like I feel like actually the energetic like everything in your body changes. I, like I think when someone starts to do this like awakening, like I'm noticing like people's skin is brighter. They have lighter eyes. Um, like when there is that shift of loving yourself, changing that energy, filling your cup first, you know, however you want to put that. So I guess like with Reiki you know, you're kind of administering some of this stuff or you're like navigating. Um, so I had the pleasure of doing a Reiki session with Beth. Mm-hmm. You placed your hands on my feet. It, it was weird because I'm just laying there on the ground or I'm sorry, on her massage table. And she says to me, I just keep on getting these things that like you're you're just moving too much. You're You're looking too much. Like you've got to just hold still a little bit. And I had changed majors four times. I had, you know, dropped out of college, gone back into college. Like, so there's so many things. And so I feel like you helped navigate that Hmm. in your sessions. Yeah. It was a long, long thing, but. I feel like many people understand that there is a connection between what we've experienced and what shows up in our body. Right. Yeah. So the body keeps the score. That's this amazing seminal work by Bessel van der Kolk. And he's a medical doctor who kept seeing this experience where a lot of his female patients would also say, oh, yeah, I was sexually abused or, oh, yeah, I have been raped. And so he was like, that's so weird that so many of my clients who are exhibiting these kinds of like chronic fatigue syndrome and multiple sclerosis and like all of these kinds of like this category of symptoms also have had really traumatic sexual experiences, right? Mm -hmm. And so then he, his, that book is an amazing book and uh, I think it really helps people open their brain up to the mind-body connection. And many, I feel like most people would say that they would agree with this, that, you know, you'll have a conversation and be like, oh yeah, Stan, he just had quadruple bypass surgery. Oh my gosh, what? Quadruple? Well, you know, he's had a very stressful job his whole life, right? So they could be like, Mm. oh, he had stress. And so what happened in his body is related to thoughts and experiences that were going on in his brain, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And for me personally and in my work, I take it to the full extreme that everything about who we are is 
a manifestation or a result of what we have experienced, what we're, what traumas we're still holding on to, what we haven't yet um, healed from, and what we have. Yeah, I mean, now I can look back and see that my yoga practice was the way in which I could have an awakening, like Mm -hmm. a spiritual awakening. And anybody who has gone through that will tell you it's the worst and most horrible Mm -hmm. feeling Mm -hmm. to go through for a very long time. It just unmoors you. You know, you have an idea of how the world works and what's right and wrong. And then all of that kind of starts to get knocked out from under you. And so then you're left like grasping for like, please help me to find some sense of reality or safety or something else and i think a spiritual awakening knocks all of those out from under you because those are all illusions and actually the reality is the suspension in between uh like heaven and earth that like you might have those moments of This feels good. This feels nice. But a lot of why we're here on this earth having this life is to evolve our soul. And a lot of times the only way growth occurs is through discomfort. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so um, I was teaching seminary. I loved it so much. It was solving all of my problems. Also, I was a progressive Mormon and had a hard time with some aspects of church doctrine Uh, But I would get around that because I taught the special needs kids. And so every day, the way that we would talk about the gospel was, it feels good to be kind. So let's be kind, you know? And so so anytime there was stuff about, uh, I could just pick and choose because my students had um, a limited capacity to express themselves and a limited capacity to understand really abstract concepts, then I could just whittle it down to like, be kind. Mm Mm-hmm love one another, and all of these universal truths that feel good to everybody, right? Mm-hmm. But my husband had been going through, uh, he he was always Peter Priesthood, always the straightest arrow you've ever seen. And our whole marriage, he'd always been elders quorum president or in the presidency or in the bishopric or in on the stake high council um, and and was losing his testimony that whole time. And in his, he's a very logical person. And so he was like, there's just things that don't add up. Like baptisms for the dead. We can't baptize everybody for the dead. So why are we even doing it at all? If we can't, if we can't do it for every person who's ever, 8 billion people, then why would we do it at all, right? Like, anyway, he could go on. But for him, there was just like things that logically didn't make sense. And for me, I was like, it's okay. We'll just do our best and then it'll be all right, you know? Like all we have to do is um, follow these steps and that's it. But I felt like I was becoming more and more nuanced. And part of that was influenced by the way I would be in Shavasana and feel completely whole completely good and not filled with shame and fear. So I um, also learned to meditate through uh, my yoga teacher training. And so I would meditate and have experiences where I would recognize through um, meditation that I was using everybody as a tool. Like my ego, I have a very big ego, and my ego was rampaging through my life and and meditation was the way that I figured it out. Mm -hmm. So I was meditating like in my closet one day and I was like, Beth, you are using your kids as tools just the way that I was used as a tool as a kid. And I would say to them, I don't care about your feelings. 
I care about the bathroom clean clean today. Mm. So clean the bathroom and put your feelings away, right? Mm. And um, I was getting everybody dressed up to go to church and and had kids that were like, I don't want to go to church. And I'm like, you will go to church because that is what I say you're going to do, right? So instead of like letting my kids' feelings have a place or their authority have a place, I was like, no, put it away. Step into line, we're going to church, you know? And so once I had that realization, I also recognized and realized every family interaction that I have, I'm feeding my ego. I'm orienting myself to other people. I'm getting them to orient themselves to me so that they will say something nice about me or so they I will I will tell this joke and then they'll laugh and then I'll get more attention. So I was getting like attention, mm-hmm. all these fundamental needs. I was getting them through um, kind of shitty ways. And once I realized that, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't mm-hmm. want to be that. Mm. And that really started to undo my church membership because I couldn't go to church. It was so ingrained in my thought patterns and my behavior. I couldn't go to church without flexing my ego. Mm-hmm. And so I just kept seeing like, oh my gosh, every time I raise my hand and tell an Elder Bednar quote, I'm doing it to feed my ego. Maybe there is a part of this where I'm like, this is going to edify people. I feel like I should share this. But always there was a component of my ego in it. And it just undid me. It undid my church attendance. And I finally, like I would meditate and then end up with a migraine before church or a panic attack before church or after church. And I just like was wrestling with this and finally just said, I'm not going to church unless I can bring a good feeling there. And then I never went back because because I came to recognize so much of my ego is wrapped up in my church membership. So much of my participation is anxiety inducing. Now that I can see what I'm doing, it's not okay with me, Mm. right? So also along with that, I, I came to be able to like stand in more truth of I don't think it's wrong for women to have the priesthood, right? And then just yeah. kind of owning things that were a problem for me in the church, but I'd always just put them away mm-hmm. because God is going to make everything work out, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But by the time I quit teaching seminary, I was like, oh, hallelujah, because next year is Doctrine and Covenants, and I don't want to have to fast for three weeks to get a testimony about polygamy yeah. <laughs> again. You know, like it was yeah. like... So there were aspects of church doctrine that I was like, oh, that's going to be a relief to not have to try to grapple and try to explain in a way that feels open and true to my students who I love so much, you know? Yeah. Mm. So, um, yeah, it just, it, it then became this path of trusting myself more than trusting others. And then like the church, you know, like in the church handbook, it it says like, do not go to spiritual healers. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, there's kind of an intonation like that's witchcraft, that's not worshiping God. And um, then I had a, a crazy situation where my brother called me an effing, <laughs> effing evil and Satan's whore because I do Reiki. So he is very much thinking like, Beth is going down this horrible path yeah. that is leading her straight into Satan's arms. So if I call her <laughs> Satan's whore, that will wake her up. And and I was like thinking to myself when he said that, like, oh, man, I've been leading all my clients to Jesus. 
if I'm Satan's whore, yeah. I've been, uh, why are we yeah. leading them to Jesus? You yeah. know, because yeah. a lot of times if somebody comes in, like sometimes Jesus shows up and I'll be like, oh, they have a living testimony that Jesus is the Christ. And so we can use that energy to heal them here. So it's crazy. Yeah. All of these ideas that we yeah. could, you know, go yeah. further into. But um, I would have um, Reiki students be like, how do you balance Reiki and, and the priesthood? You know, the power to heal God's power, God's love, you know, on earth. And I would be like, secretly in my mind, I think it's the same thing. I think that God loves everybody. And I don't think... Um, he loves men more than women or, or gives men this gift instead of, you know, like mm -hmm. I feel like what I'm doing is really beautiful and mm -hmm. pure and like God's love, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can we go to that like moment where like you're in meditation and you realize like, oh, because maybe part of me relates to you. Maybe not, maybe not at all. But like that idea of like, no, I'm a good person. Like, look how I'm like showing up for my students with the soda. Look how, like, like you, like you really probably believe that like, oh, it's okay that I do these things because I'm a good person. And mm -hmm. then to have like that realization of like, you are using people. Like, mm -hmm. what? Yes. I mean, that's the discomfort that mm -hmm. we would and, do and anything to escape, right? Yeah. Well, and, and I feel like what we want to do in our lives is collapse things down to it's right or it's wrong. Yes. You're good or you're bad. But... I have always been an incredibly sincere, honest person. And I have always had a lot of personal integrity. And I have always loved the gospel of Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. right? And so even though I was completely sincere, I also was feeding my ego, mm. right? And so I feel like my personal integrity, my sincerity, when I had that realization of, yes, you are doing this because you love God and want to love God, and you're also doing this. Like, it yeah. makes it a more complex. Like, we want to be like, he's a pedophile, he's bad, and he needs to be in jail for the rest of our lives. Or, you know, we want everything to only be black and white, yeah. but it's way more complex. And so I like thinking about, we want to collapse it down into something that is simple so that it's not overwhelming, but the reality is that everything is yeah. a complex matrix. Yeah. And our ability to hold our arms open to that complex matrix matrix that's the path for us yeah. and so a lot of us just through our regular lives I feel like this is why a lot of people as they age they become softer more open more loving they recognize it's so complex yeah we are all multifaceted gems and we want to only believe that we're love and light. But actually, we do have a facet where we're an asshole. And we do have a facet where we're a bigot. And we do have, a, like, it's just, like, we're more complex than we would like to collapse down to. I'm just love and light. Mm -hmm. But we're way more complex. So all, like, it can be true. I am sincere and devoted and I'm using people to feed my ego. Yeah. We just want to share a big thank you to everybody who helped make this episode possible. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Drop into our DMs. You can find us on Instagram at I totally relate pod. Or you can share your feedback and insights with us at I totally relate pod at gmail.com. We totally want to get to know you. See you next time. Peace out.